This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening to this PowerCat podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode of the PowerCat podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com. We cover the Wildcats like no one else with our VIP customers enjoying one-of-a-kind coverage from our team of professional journalists. And sign up today for an annual subscription to GPC and grab a 30% discount on your first year. And now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat pregame podcast, presented by Robbins Motor Company, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to the PowerCat pregame podcast. I'm Go PowerCat publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and we are brought to you by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. Following a dominating 49-14 win over Nichols in Chris Kleiman's first game as Kansas State's head coach, K-State plays host to Bowling Green at 11 a.m. on Saturday inside Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The contest will be shown on FSN with Chris Vosters on play-by-play and former K-State linebacker Ben Lieber serving as color analyst. And we'll have a little bit of Ben on later in this podcast. The game can be heard across the 39-station K-State Sports Network with Wyatt Thompson, Stan Weber, and my buddy Matt Walters calling the action. And after the game, I will be joined by former K-State offensive lineman Brian Hanley on the Powercat postgame podcast brought to you by Caddyshack Golf. Well, K-State opened the climbing era, rushing for 361 yards in that opener against Nichols, the most by a Wildcat team in a season opener since 1981, while it's 573 yards of total offense ranked as the seventh most in school history for a single game. The Cats held the ball for 41 minutes and 9 seconds in the game, the largest time of possession for a K-State team since 1997 against Texas A&M, and the longest so far this season in college football. Five different players recorded rushing touchdowns in the opener, while James Gilbert shined in his Wildcat debut, rushing for 115 yards on 18 carries, marking the second most rushing yardage by a Wildcat in their debut. Yes, it was a very good day at the office for the Wildcats. And let's look back at the opening victory and forward to Saturday's game with Bowling Green with the GoPowerCat.com staff roundtable session. Riley Gates, D. Scott Fritchin. Yes, sir. And Ryan Wallace. Well, boys, I think we can all agree that it went better than we probably imagined. Even if you thought it was going to be okay. That was probably a step above that. <laughs> but let's just get started with um, the offensive line. Because I talked to an ex-player the other day that had a little mixed review. He didn't think the offensive line was as good as advertised. That they were just bigger and they just wore the other team out. 
but that may not be what they can do come Big 12 play. Let's start with you, Ryan Wallace. What were your thoughts on the O-line play? Well, you know, coming in, it's uh, we, we envisioned that group to be one of the strong suits of the offense, let alone the entire team, just with the amount of experience they had coming back, uh, you know, with Scott France, uh, Adam Holtor, Tyler Mitchell, even a guy like Nick Kaltmeyer, um, you know, who maybe to the uh, fan that isn't as engaged for every single snap of every single game might have forgotten the kind of uh, bowl game he had. Um, against UCLA a couple years ago. So we even even him, we kind of assumed he would be pretty good. And then, you know, Evan Curl beating out Josh Revis kind of said all you need to know about the type of offseason he's had. But so for me, we, we envisioned them being strong, but I got to disagree with whoever you talked to because, I mean, they were incredibly strong. This is a nickel state team that had their leading tackler for loss back, their leading sack man back. Um, you know, there's an active defense and – not only do they, you know, rush for 361 yards and have 573 yards of total offense fits, but I can only remember, and I'll throw it back to you by saying this, I can only remember Skylar Thompson really scrambling, you know, in a, in a broken play, maybe two, three times total. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, that touchdown run he had was a design pass play, and they covered it up pretty well, and he just took off running. Uh, but he had the space to do so. At that point, they had spread out the defense, and nobody was home in the middle of that that defense. D. Scott, they said what we want to do with the running game is pound, pound, pound until the fourth quarter. There's nothing left of you, and we can have our way. Uh, they maybe got there a little bit quicker than that with Nichols, but certainly by the end of the game, they were just kind of worn out by everything. I really love what Harry Trotter said after the game, calling them a three-headed monster. And I think three-headed monster is is here for the long haul. Plus, you throw in the fact that uh, Tyler Burns was able to be productive as well, especially in the fourth quarter. And you got four guys all of a sudden that have more than 10 carries. And I can't remember the last time a K-State team had four players with 10 carries. There are 361 rushing yards are the most since 2010. In that 2010 season, they had Daniel Thomas, who, of course, in his debut had over 100 yards rushing. James Gilbert had 115 yards rushing. Recognized by 24-7 Sports as one of the outstanding performances by a transfer player in week one. I was very encouraged by the running backs. I thought that they stayed fresh. I thought the rotation worked really well. I was really uh, impressed with what Courtney Messingham was, was able to do with that offensive attack. Uh, that Daniel Thomas guy, he was he was pretty good as well too. So, you know, pretty impressive that they could they could meet numbers like that. I just that offensive line to me, you know, pro football focus graded them the number one offensive unit or offensive line unit, excuse me, in the country this weekend. Now I know, uh, granted, uh, much to the point like you kind of brought up a little bit earlier, yeah, they're not going to face defensive lines like Nickel. I mean, the defensive lines they face are only probably going to get tougher after this week against Bowling Green. And I'm very open to admitting that. But 
They were so technically sound. I thought it was it was one of the more efficient offensive line games I've seen out of K State recently. Just from the standpoint of executing what they needed to do, um, you know, if you go back on our site, it's probably a little bit buried by now. But Ross Uglum did a great analysis piece on on that first game, and he he did a little bit uh, of a dive into the offensive line, and they just looked like they were so cohesive together. Um, you know, obviously some guys have been playing together for a while now, but they they just seem to be clicking. I was overly impressed with the offensive line, and um, I thought they did a phenomenal job. And very telling that Connor Riley. He, he comes into the to the press conference this week and says, you know, I was I was pleased, but hey, there was a there was a fourth and one that we didn't get that I wanted, and there was a few plays that we didn't get. So he's not settled, and he's gonna he's gonna have him bring it again this week. I would imagine Josh Rivas will be in the starting lineup. He played well. He really yeah. did. He was one of the featured guys on that line, and I was happy for the kid because he kind of, in some ways, lost a starting position. We all assumed he was going to be the start at that guard position, and and then Curl took it over, and but he did respond and play well. But the running backs were pleasing. Ryan Wallace, there's no other way to describe them than a very pleasant surprise. The two transfers were good. I think we were all curious about Harry Trotter because he was a walk-on until earlier this year when they gave him a scholarship, and now we see why he got a scholarship. The three-headed monster, as D. Scott said, it's pretty scary, at least one game in. Well, yeah, and I think the the other thing that you got to like when you watch how each of them operate is they all do, they all bring something different. Um, you can use each of the three in different ways. I think James Gilbert is probably the most balanced of the three, and that's maybe why you're going to see him at least, um, you know, until somebody else rises to the top, so to speak. You know, he's going to be kind of the quote-unquote bell cow, although I think we, as we've seen, they're all going to get um, substantial carries. But James can... Uh, what I'm, I was impressed with most about James was the fact that he was able to break tackles um, because he's kind of the smaller guy of the three. Um, and he was very slippery, um, showcased some of his speed and burst out of the backfield. So you had to like that. Jordan Brown was exactly as advertised, uh, shifty, good acceleration. He's a guy that they're going to use a lot in the passing game. You can get him out in the flats and let him do business there. And then Harry Trotter was just, you know, the, the engine that could. I mean, it seemed like his legs just kept going. Um, no matter how many guys were, were on him trying to bring him down, he's breaking tackles. He is going to be, you know, a short yardage guy, but also a guy that you can get out on a wheel route similar to Jordan Brown. So you got to like the fact that, and even as we saw on Saturday, you got to like the, the fact that you can just trot one of them out there. Or if you want to, you can actually have all three in the backfield at the same time. Which we will see at some point this season. I'm guessing Mississippi State. But uh, the fact that they all do a little bit different things and yet they're similar can make that diamond formation, if that's what they use out of it, with the three of them, awfully dangerous. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're a defense what you do with that because they can all go out and catch the ball or run the ball and, and block. So it's very very promising. The running game off to a great start. I expect against Bowling Green this Saturday we'll see a whole nother dose of the running game that they'll want to continue to pound at it. That's not a message they just wanted to send for a game. That's the message this offense sends, period. This is what they want everyone to know. We're going to run the ball at you in a variety of ways, give you a bunch of different looks. Good luck stopping it. One thing that K-State didn't do particularly well was catch the ball. D. Scott, that's something... I hope to see improvement in Skyler. We'll get Skyler in a second, but Skyler Thompson had a really good day throwing the ball. And if not for about three or four drops, he has an amazing day throwing the ball. Yeah. Senior Dalton Schoen had 
a couple that he wished he could have had back. Um, he thought he had the touchdown in, in the end zone. Then it turned out that way. Another time he got kind of turned around on a route, and it would have been gone for a long game. But uh, Malik Knowles also had a couple drops as, as well in there. But I was really impressed with the way that Skyler was, was able to spread the field, uh, eight, eight different pass catchers in this game. Malik, if you're going to be the guy, you got to be the guy. You try not to be too tough on anybody, but especially a kid that, you know, only played in four games last year. So you try to temper it a little bit, but also at the same time, it, uh, summer practices, spring practices, fall camp, they go a long ways to your development. And, you know, there were a couple times where Skyler, you know, I'm thinking one in my head right now where he just, I think he got excited and overthrew Malik Knowles. And, and you know, you can't really put that one on him, but there were a couple in there where you, you could see it developing and you're like, oh, Malik's going to score a touchdown. Oh, the ball bounced off Malik's hands. So yeah. it, disappointing to see that. You know, it's a lot of people are concerned about it, and I'm not saying it wasn't a concern for me. Uh, it's just more so I want to see what they do this week. I want to see what they do moving forward because drops were a little bit of an issue last year. That was something that kind of happened from time to time, And but I'm not ready to declare them an issue yet this year. Just kind of got to see how they bounce back from that first game. The first game always brings the jitters, knock the rust off, whatever. So we'll kind of see how Malik responds going into this week. Wally, we're still in the phase of – Comparing the two coaches, Bill Snyder did this, Chris Kleiman does this, and differences, similarities. But I've got one golden similarity between the two coaches. The depth chart didn't mean a damn thing when it came to starting the game. <laughs> and that was really true at receiver where we saw Landry Weber out there on the first snap, Dalton Schoen and Malik Knowles, who wasn't listed as starter, indeed starting the game. But that didn't really matter because on the second snap, third snap, fourth snap, it was different guys. Sammy Wheeler didn't come in at tight end. He came in at receiver. So it, it was awfully fun to watch how they just got everyone involved in that first drive. But really at receiver, it was fascinating to watch the different guys shuffle in and out. Yeah, you know, we came into this game all, you know, eagerly anticipating the big debut of Joshua Youngblood, who did see substantial time for, I would say, for a freshman in in the season opener, although he didn't really have any passes thrown his way, didn't have any stats thrown his way, so he had no chance for a reception. But, um, you know, besides Landry Weber, Phillip Brooks was in there a lot. You know, we saw Logan Long in there um, from time to time, who, who had a pretty solid day as a tight end. Um, didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of Chabaston Taylor. He did have the one reception for 34 yards on kind of a busted play. Um, so you'd like to see maybe a little bit more of him going forward. But again, these guys are in the game. Uh, Jackson Neen caught a, caught a pass. Uh, they're going to go deep in that depth chart. Um, it, like you said, it's not always concrete. I think it gives a good visual indication of maybe who's practicing well and maybe who the coaches have the most confidence in. But it also doesn't mean that they're not going to give other guys the opportunity that they think can either, A, help them in the game plan, or B, have the potential to grow from seeing time on the field. And I think that's one thing that um, these two coaches are different in, in the sense that I think Chris Kleiman knows that if he has a kid that needs a little bit more experience but can grow into a, potentially a uh, an offensive game changer, a defensive game changer, he's going to give them that opportunity. Whereas Bill Snyder was a little bit more um, rigid and a little bit more traditional and old school. And the fact that, you know, you kind of got to earn your way onto the field and, you know, then we'll grow you through practice. Um, I think Chris Kleiman is much more willing to give guys a shot 
and let them learn from mistakes. Yeah, Fritch, it, it was fun to watch all the different guys that got to play. And it wasn't about mop-up duty at the end where they certainly had that. They had guys come in and play, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, they got in there and didn't perform really that great because – uh, Nichols went down the field and scored a touchdown. And climbing a minute after the game, there was guys playing out of position just to fill all the holes. Offensively, you saw the second team line and Tyler Burns churn it up, like you said. But it's really hard to keep track of who's on the field. One of the things I loved about what he was doing was it didn't matter if you were first on the depth chart or third on the depth chart. You better be engaged and involved because you might be in on any drive at any time, depending on what the play call is. Very much so. And I think that also uh, takes into effect the um, the double reps that they do. They all always have to be prepared because they never know when they're going to be in on, on the, the uh, double reps. I really like the way the first drive, especially had 20, 20 players come in on offense on that first drive. And uh, they had 72 players overall in the game that participated. Um, I, I like the way that we were able to see so many different players in this opener. Let's move on to the big guy. Skyler Thompson. Ooh. We knew off the field he was a different guy. He was His demeanor was different. He was more relaxed. He seemed more comfortable in his skin. But that all showed up on the football field, too, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you noticed guys were you know gravitating towards him in the huddle. He seemed like he was more vocal on the field than we've seen him in the past. But, you know, overall, I think the biggest thing for Skyler was when you watched him last year, um, at times it just seemed like his pocket presence was – you know, very impatient, um, very rattled sometimes, uh, nervous. And in this game, you know, granted, everything's working well for you and you have all day in the pocket, but he just looked relaxed. He looked confident. He knew where he wanted to put the ball. Okay, that's not there. I have time. I'm going to go to my second read and just work my way down the progression. You know, there's no, no, no reason to bail out on anything or, you know, try and force a throw. Uh, he was accurate, and like I said, he was calm. This was the Skylar Thompson that you know everybody in Kansas City knew from his days at Fort Osage. I mean, this is a guy that um, is a leader, um, that it's that's confident, calm, and and an absolute playmaker. And I think we're seeing that this is the type of system and the scheme and the coaching staff that you know he's going to thrive under because uh, as we've heard them say, you know, from day one. Uh, this is your team, this is your offense, and you're our guy. And it's just nice for him to not have that, you know, shadow looming over his shoulder of when am I going to get pulled. Yeah, I, I just to add, touch on to that, I just think it was really noticeable that, you know, if you go back and, and you kind of look at, I don't know, K-State football's Twitter account and things like that. He stood up in front of the team after the game and he said, you know, I've I've never had this much fun playing with playing with you guys before. It's been, it, it was an honor to play with you guys today. And, like, very weird for somebody to say that in the first game of their junior year, you're like, okay, well, it's not your last game ever. It's not the first game of your last year. It's like that game meant a lot to him. And I think that – is all you really need to know um, to understand how comfortable he is here, to understand how much it means to him to have the full trust of his coaches, to understand what it means to him to be able to to just play freely. 
I don't know that we can put into words just how different Skylar Thompson is going to be this year. And I think he's only scratched the surface in showing us the type of player he can be this season. I think he's going to continue to to develop, to grow as a leader and as a player. And it can only mean good things for K-State. I mean, look, he's not going to be 16 of 22 with mostly drops every single week. He's not going to be the number two quarterback in the country in QBR every single week. But he's going to be pretty dang good this year, and I think he can contend to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12 Conference this year. Let's flip it over to the defense now. D. Scott, we don't know much about the defense after one game. The poor guys played only 41 snaps, and that was as a total defensive unit. The starters probably didn't even break 30 snaps because they were shuffling guys in and out through the whole game. As Denzel Goolsby told me, he woke up on Sunday and he didn't even feel like he had played a game because <laughs> he had played so little. We have a lot we need to learn about this defense, but then again, I don't expect to learn a whole lot more in this game either. I think K-State should control the game like they did against Nichols. Bowling Green might be a lesser opponent even to Nichols, and if that's true, that means the defense uh, will probably remain a mystery. They won't be on the field a lot, but let's touch on this. Third down. They were so good on third down. That, more than anything, is why they weren't on the field very often. That was the biggest change from last year. Last year, they were miserable on third down. They just give up first downs on third down, almost like they weren't even trying. This time, I think uh, Nichols had one first down conversion off a third down. And that, I mean, that was just really impressive to watch. I think Kansas State will be tested just a little bit by Bowling Green. Bowling Green had 101 plays for 620 yards in their season opener. K-State was really good on third down. I think that big plays might might be an area where K-State needs to get a little bit better, though. Giving up yeah. uh, more than six yards per play against uh, Nichols State with um, about 12 of those plays going for 15-plus yards. Nichols did have some luck, Wally, in the middle of that defense. That surprised me. I really thought Nichols was moving some guys around and getting them out of position. And uh, between the defensive tackles, nose tackle, and the linebackers, there were some flaws in the middle of that defense, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think we might be able to see that change over time. Maybe not this week. You wonder, you know, how um, many wrinkles Scotty Hazleton really threw in, um, you know, to the Kansas State fan. Um, it was a big change in defense from the fact that, from the standpoint that you know we saw some more blitzing. Um, we saw you know just in their alignment them doing some some different things. But at the same time, you also have to wonder you know how much were they just kind of in a simple base? Um, how much were they in, in a man to man that they just kind of thought that they could uh, beat Nichols one on one? Um, and with, with better athletes. So, again, we might not be able to see that change too much this week against Bowling Green. They might insert a few more things to, you know, their, their packages and to their kind of play calls. But um, that might, again, be something we got to wait for week three against Mississippi State to really lock in on. No sacks. No sacks. They did blitz a little bit more. They did come a little bit more. Nichols threw the ball, what, 18 times? And they got some pressure here and there, but they were real cognitive to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand and not expose him to being hit. You said it right there, you know, because I am a guy that, you know, numbers never lie, and you didn't have any sacks, which I don't think is, is great, but also at the same time, 
you're not the only one to say that. Players said it this week. Coaches said it this week. Chase Forcade was getting rid of the ball, and he was getting rid of the ball quick. It, it was a point, you know, almost to, almost to a point where he'd, he'd almost make a bad throw and chance an interception rather than get sacked. He did. Yeah, yeah, he did throw an interception. So, you know, I think that uh, I think that the K State defensive line still has that ability. You know, we didn't overvalue Reggie Walker and White Heber. We didn't overvalue Trey Deshaun. It just just so happened to be the the way that this offense worked against this defense. Now, you know, I'd like to see them get some sacks in this game. I think this is one where they should be able to overpower that offensive line and get back there, even if it is another quarterback that wants to get rid of the ball really quickly. But. Uh, you know, I think I think we're going to see them start to record those, and then once they get going, once they kind of figure out how this is going to fit a little bit better, get those rotations going, you know, a lot quicker. You get some fresh guys in there. Maybe those sack numbers start uh, start racking up, and then my preseason prediction of uh, 20 sacks between Reggie Walker and Wyatt Hubert is going to start to be yeah, true. Yeah, you're already behind the eight. Yeah, that's that not good. The averages aren't great. Ryan Wallace, I know we don't have a lot to go off of, but what did you think of how the secondary played in that opening game? Well, I think you lead things off with um, A.J. Parker yeah. from a statistical standpoint with his interception. Um, it seemed like Chase Verkade either straight away from him the rest of the game or, you know, just uh, A.J. Parker might have just been that good. But to me, you know, the guy who really ended up standing out was Jerron McPherson at, at the nickel position. He was absolutely tremendous against the run and the pass. He finally looked healthy. He finally looked like the guy that we've kind of all been waiting for out of Butler County, who's this freak athlete that can do everything sideline to sideline. He was that guy. And the other guy, I think, that stood out um, that ended up getting the the, the, whole, the sledgehammer after the game um, was Jonathan Alexander, um, the you know, another junior college transfer from Texas that uh, came up and uh, was able to not only strip the fumble, but then pick it up for the touchdown. Uh, you know, there was just something about Jonathan Alexander that, to me, he still feels like a linebacker. I still want to see him in coverage a little bit more and see how he can cover as a safety or, you know, as a nickel. Um, but to me, he's a difference maker. And the fact that you're able to get guys like Jerron McPherson, guys like Jonathan Alexander, incorporated with uh, guys that already have experience that, that, you know, K-State fans can trust a little and A.J. Parker and Walter Neal. Um, I, it, I think that maybe there's more uh, assets in that secondary fits than maybe we assumed coming in. It might take them a couple of weeks to really grow and really um, find the rhythm that, that Joe Klanderman and Bamelon want them to, but they might actually be a little bit deeper there than we initially thought. Well, I think just the whole demeanor of how the defense is played by Scotty Hazelton, they're in attack mode and they're not back on their heels. They're not backpedaling constantly. They're not, you know, just kind of sitting back there in soft coverage and letting passes be completed so they can tackle. I think it helped their whole demeanor, the fact that they were able to go out and attack the ball, go, you know, get into pass patterns and be a little more aggressive. Now they might pay the price for that later in the season, but I think it built their confidence. I thought Walter Neal played really well. Every time I watched him, he was doing a great job in coverage, and he probably is enjoying being at cornerback instead yeah. of being in that battering ram at nickelback. Let's bring this thing to a full circle here, D. Scott. Special teams. There wasn't much of it. It, what we saw wasn't particularly special. Um, that's my. That's still my big question mark heading into this game. Well, if I can say one thing, Philip Brooks, I think he's got some athleticism to him, some, some a little bit of wiggle, as Coach Schneider used to call it back in the days of Darren Sproles. 
I think special teams with the, with the kickoffs and the, and the punts, I think those are going to be a good hands. Yeah. You know, I want to see a little little bit of um, little bit of punting, but uh, other than that, <laughs> that's a weird thing to ask. For. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, uh, yeah, I was a lot, and, and Philip Brooks did impress because you know we didn't get to see a whole lot out of him last year. He does have that speed that they've been talking about for a while. My concern was. And, and it's a small concern, was just that missed field goal from Blake Lynch. You know, uh, I hate to pound a kid over one missed field goal. You know, I earlier said everybody kind of gets a mistake or two, but that was a distance he was 5-5 five of five on last year, and I honestly considered it a chip shot for him. We'll see how he bounces back from that if he gets another uh, attempt at a field goal this week. If he does and he, and he doesn't really start to come around on it, you got to start to wonder if maybe Ty Zentner might get in there a little bit because we saw him handle some kickoff duties, and, man, he sure does have a leg on him, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. It was impressive. Ryan Wallace, they opened the season, and everyone kind of had this sense of uncertainty what was going to take place against Nichols. One game later, everyone seems to have a sense of confidence against Bowling Green. I'd imagine reality is a little bit in between those two, but is there reason to be concerned about this Bowling Green team? Probably not. Um, for for starters, anybody that dresses in brown and orange as their colors, you know, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not looking sharp. You're not, probably not going to play sharp. To me, I think this is – K-State fans got to take this one again with a grain of salt, much like Nichols. Uh, I thought Nichols had maybe some better skill position players um, than, than we'll see from Bowling Green. That's just my estimation, and that might go back to, an, you know, when you asked earlier, Fitz, about, you know, the openings in that defense. They might have not wanted to get beat over the top, and that created some things underneath. But I think with, with Bowling Green – they're going to lack a little bit of that athleticism and even more so um, they're going through a, a first year head coach and Scott Loeffler uh, still trying to learn some schemes. there, still trying to bounce back and get some confidence, obviously beating Morgan state, um, you know, regardless of what you think of Morgan state will breed some sort of level of confidence. But uh, again, I'm not so sure that there's going to be a whole lot when we sit here next week that we're going to be able to really say definitively about this K-State team. Um, I do think that this will be another runaway for the Wildcats, and uh, hopefully you know, they, they stay grounded enough and focused enough to not lose sight of the fact that they still got an awful lot left to prove in Week 3 in Starkville. He is Ryan Wallace. Riley Gates and D. Scott Fritchen are to my right and left. And that was the GoPowerCat.com roundtable. We appreciate everyone joining in on this. And after this break, we will continue with our pregame podcast with the analysts. They're all lined up one after another. We got four of them right after this pause. The experts from GoPowerCat.com will return with more on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Joining you once again, it's Tim Fitzgerald and Go PowerCat football analyst Marcus Watts. And now let's kick off the analyst section of the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company by bringing in our football analyst, the one and only Marcus Watts. I hope he's the only one. Let's be honest about this. But first, let me do this. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. And now here he is, Marcus Watts, from somewhere out there in the world, parts unknown. Yeah, not studio this week. I know. Um, I know. Somewhere in the It it was nice to have you in studio for once, but now (laughs) you've gotten away from us, which is a wise move. Well, first of all, last week was impressive. They looked good for the most part. You really can't learn much from the defense, and I want to talk to you about that, certainly. But, you know, that's probably about as good as you can expect from an opener for a new coach. They just got it done and did so efficiently. Yeah, obviously, I was pleasantly surprised uh, and very happy with how K-State came out and, you know, took it right to them. And we kind of knew going into this game that it was going to look kind of like an old Coach Schneider football team, you know, grounding and pounding. But I didn't realize that it was going to – I remember texting you during the game. I'm like, (laughs) deja vu or something. You know, it's just – it was nice because that kind of brand of football is something I like personally. Right, I do. And I think it clashes with what teams run in the Big 12 and what they're used to. So it gives you a, a leg up um, on on teams that you're playing because you're not playing as – they're not going – our K-State doesn't run the spread. So, you know, other teams see passing all day. So, But it was nice to see. Um, you know, one one person that I watched really closely in this game was Skylar Thompson. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to see how he progressed with the new coaching staff because of how so inconsistent and tentative um, he looked all of last year. Um, he looked so uncomfortable last year. And what I saw this um, – now, granted, it's just one game. Um, what I saw from Skyler was like light years ahead of where he was at any time last year. So um, I was happy. Yeah, there's there's not much to be upset about. But maybe some issues on defense. They only played 41 snaps as a total unit, and the starters only played about 30 or fewer. They were well-rested, let's put it that way. They should feel pretty good going into this game. You know, they you could see some assignment – blown assignments in there, uh, particularly in the middle of the defense. And I think Bowling Green, which wants to run the ball, uh, the Falcons ran for, what, 326 in their opener on 
63 attempts. So I thought K-State ran it a lot. Uh, the Falcons are going to get after it too. And I guarantee it, when they flipped on the video of K-State's game, they saw something in the middle of the defense that maybe they can take advantage of because that's where Bowling Green, excuse me, that's where Nichols had some success. Where K-State struggled um, from what I saw, especially on that touchdown run that they had up the middle, was when they had the jet motion. Uh, the linebackers were getting their eyes in the backfield and were kind of going with the flow of the jet jet motion um, and trying to react to that. Um, when they scored that touchdown round, K-State had it fitted perfectly, except for Elijah Sullivan right. um, went into the gap where Wayne Jones already was. And so he missed his assignment. He was supposed to fill the A gap. He went out to the uh, the outside gap. And there was a K-State player there and the left the hole wide open. So it's one of those things that's a very coachable moment. Uh, keep your eyes on your keys and do your responsibilities and try not to do somebody else's. Trust that your teammate is going to be in the position that he's going to be in. And I think, you know, last year, K-State probably didn't have a lot of trust in each other. Um, and so they're still building that trust through games. And obviously, you can do it in practice and stuff. But once you get in the games, you know, it's, it's a lot faster, happens a lot quicker. And so it, it'll get corrected, and I think they'll be fine. But I look for Bowling Green to maybe throw some of that that quick jet motion and more motions to try to confuse uh, K-State's uh, linebackers into overplaying plays uh, and not being assignment sound. Well, that is a concern because Bowling Green will kind of mimic what K-State does with all that pre-snap motion and getting people uh, trying to move you around. So if they're successful in that, they will have some offensive success. They certainly did against a much lesser Morgan State team, but we'll, we'll see how that transpires. But I, I just want to see... Uh, advancements from this defense because we really didn't get to see much, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. If we get to see a lot more in this game, that probably means Bowling Green's having some success offensively and staying on the field. If K-State can get them in those third down situations and stop them and get them off the field, which they were marvelous at, probably be in the 40s again with offensive snaps for the opposition. And, you know, it, it takes both sides of the ball, but the defense did their job. They got off the field and didn't do much work. And at the end of the day, that's exactly what you want to do as a defender. That's correct. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. You want to see more out of your defense. You want them to get more snaps. But, hey, if they're getting three and outs – that's perfect. That's what you that's what you play the game. That's what you play defense for is to get three and outs, to get takeaways, uh, which they got, you know, on that first series. So they did everything that they were supposed to do. Right. Um, and, you know, so will they see probably more snaps in this game? I would think so. I think Bowling Green might pose a little bit more of a competition because there's actual game film on K-State now. Right. Uh, and what Chris Kleiman and them are going to do with this team and players that they have in um, on the team. Do I think they probably will get a little more defensive snaps? Yes. Do I think it's going to be a close game? Probably not, you know, but it's too early to tell. I try not to get too high. I try not to get too low. Um, but it's hard not to be looking ahead and thinking positively about where this team is compared to where they were at any point last year. Is this a weird balancing act for a new coaching staff? They want to move their team forward. Uh, they have claimed not to fear putting much on film. They'll, they'll just, they say they'll just run what they need to run, but they really didn't run much. I mean, they, that was their basic stuff. It might have looked fancy because we'd never seen it before, but that was kind of what they do. Uh, and defensively, they really didn't have to show much. They probably want to do a little bit more in this game 
game, but then again, they don't want to put a whole bunch out there for the Mississippi states and Oklahoma states of the world to see. Yeah, we kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, even though uh, they may do a little bit more, what they're going to be doing against a team like Bowling Green that likes to run the ball is not what they're going to see from offenses in the Big 12. So they're really, I mean, you're really not going to be putting much on film. Yeah, uh, if that if that makes yeah. any sense, so you know I would just I would just stick to your game plan, stick to your you know your base stuff, the stuff that the players know and and that are run, that they run well and have been learning through camp, um, and then you add wrinkles in throughout the season, depending on the teams that you're playing, and so. You know, the whole showing too much and show, not showing a lot and all that kind of stuff, I think that's all just talk, yeah. frankly, um, because it's there's not really anything exotic that these offensive coaches has, haven't seen. Um, now, like, you know, K-State may come out in a 3-4 against some of these teams. And that may be something that they, the other teams weren't expecting. And so that's when you kind of throw exotic stuff at a certain team. Um, that may not run the ball as much and may just want to throw it all over the place. And so those are the type of exotic differences of defenses that you run and how you defend the teams that would catch an offensive coordinator uh, from another team off guard. Look, they can talk about running back by committee. I'm going to still think I'm not a fan of that. And then I got to see running back by committee from Courtney Messingham, offensive coordinator, and Brian Anderson, running backs coach. And now I'm a fan of running back by committee. That was masterfully done. And granted, it helps you're having success. But to have four guys get 10 or more carries, including your your main guy, James Gilbert, getting 18 carries and going over 100 yards. Uh, speaking of scripting plays, you couldn't script that any better for the K-State offense. They established that they have a well-rounded rushing attack, and this is a team that returned no experienced running backs. It's incredible. Yeah, thank God for the transfer portal. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get two guys out of that. Look, running back by committee works if you've got three capable running backs or right. four capable running backs, if you've just, if you're running a running back by committee, just to save a guy or, you know, a snap here or a snap there, then it really doesn't work. Obviously I think they would like a guy to be the guy, but you know, they're going to still keep that guy fresh. It's a long season. Yeah. Um, in, in James, a lot of these transfers, they've already played three, four years of college. And so, you know, they've had a lot of wear and tear running backs have a lot more wear and tear than any other position on the field. And so the more you can keep each and every guy fresh, uh, the better. And, you know, they're going to go with the hot hand. That's the, that's the good thing about having three capable guys is, you know, James Gilbert may have a bad game and he may only get eight carries, well, Trotter may have a, be having a great game and may get the 18 or 20 carries. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. You don't know. And they're all different in their ways. Some of them are a little bit quicker. Some of them will maybe a little bit faster. But I think K-State fans should be, you know, not looking for uh, is they're not going to have a game breaker. You know, they're not you're not going to see those 60, 70 yard runs. Now you'll see one every once in a while, but. They're not going to be like a Darren Sproles making guys miss and stuff. Uh, they're going to get out there and ground and pound it. And, hey, I love it. Yeah, it was fun. There's no doubt about it. They substitute like crazy. These coaches shuffle guys in and out. Well, there was 20 players on that opening drive. You know, defensive players, you know, even the starters were under 30 snaps typically. 
you have to be on your toes if you're on this roster. You might be third on the depth chart, but get in on the first series. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen a coaching staff do. They weren't just talking about playing people. Boom. They played people right out of the gate. And that's so motivating. If you're one of those younger guys that's buried on the depth chart, that doesn't mean you're not playing. You might play. And if you have a good good game, if you perform well, you're going to play even more. Yeah, and I think it's something you can do early on in the season, something you can do uh, when you're playing a nickel state and you're dominating, uh, playing a Bowling Green if you dominate Bowling Green. But once I get into those tough games, yeah. you know, as a player, I wouldn't want to be coming in and out because you get out of the flow and rhythm of the game. It's hard to, you know, if you're coming out for a cup place here or a series here and stuff, it's hard to keep in the rhythm, keep engaged in the game. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they'll do that as much. I think you'll see the substitutions go down as they get into more tougher games. Um, but if they're dominating like they have been and keeping guys fresh and it's working, then yeah. they may keep it up. But they're probably trying to see what they have, you know, because they've been able to see it in practice and stuff and going against each other. And that's just not the same. So I think these first two games are going to see what they have in players. You know, when Alexander got in there, he was phenomenal. Uh, that strip was something that, you know, I wasn't expecting him to have it, but that's a, that's a football player. Right. I mean, you just know that's a football player. And so, you know, that's a guy that you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we need to get him in there a little bit more because he can find the, he's got a nose for the ball. Those are things that, you know, you don't maybe expect so much, you know, with young guys out at the beginning, but you may see it in those first couple games that might tempt you to play them a little bit more. Very good. I also have a deep bench, so it's time to send you to the bench and bring in someone different. Thank you, Marcus. And now let's bring in Big B, Brian Hanley. He joins me on the post-game podcast, and this time we get to do it during daylight hours. K-State and Bowling Green kick off at 11, so I don't know. We'll probably record around 4, and it'll be up by 5 for everyone to enjoy. A little bit later night last week with that win over Nichols, but, boy, that was fun to talk about, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was a great, great start to the season. Couldn't ask for anything more. Just one game, I get it, but it's just an outstanding start to the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. It's a lot easier to convince yourself it's just one game when it's really good than when it's really bad because then you go into panic. That's mode. right. But That's it was exactly right. And it was one game. We'll see if they can back it up. They should be able to back it up against a Bowling Green team that won its opener convincingly against Morgan State. They ran the ball quite well. In fact, it's they kind of mimic each other in how they won their games, scoring in the 40s and uh, controlling the tempo of the game with an offense that likes to run the ball and shift alignments and do a lot of pre-snap motion, and it's just kind of funny. K-State, in some ways, will be looking into a mirror with a team with also with a new coach at Bowling Green. But this is a case, Brian, of just stay the course, isn't it? Just pick up where you left off and continue to do the same stuff. That's right. That's right. This is another game where the competition is going to be a little bit tougher, but this is still another game where it's all about us. We just need to go out there, do what we do, uh, continue to just play hard, play fast, um, and do the things that are going to be successful. And, you know, again, we should be fine. We should be fine. Again, that's not discounting the competition or anything like that. But if we go and execute and continue to do those things the right way, this is another game that we should be able to 
to take and start building momentum. Right. Do what you do and do it well, and don't make mistakes along the way, which was something they did a great job with in that opening game against Nichols with only two penalties and zero turnovers, and that's that's a nice day right there. That That's getting it done, and you can't open the door for a, I don't want, this is tough to say it this way, lesser opponent, and, and let them right. sneak in with your own mistakes. So staying clean is very important, and cleaning up mistakes, because as hard as it is to believe there were mistakes in that game and on defense uh, you could see some alignment issues and maybe on offense on those first couple snaps they didn't fire off the ball like they want to but when you're building a program you've got to take these steps and and uh, this is another building block you've got to have this on on the base of your foundation Absolutely. Well, I mean, we've seen it all around the country already this year. I mean, look at some of the upsets that we've seen. I mean, Tennessee law. I mean, what has happened to them? So K-State is in a position to where we just need to keep doing what we do because and do it well, because if you don't, things like that can happen. So we just need to, to stay focused one game at a time, one play at a time and good things will happen. I agree. Uh, I look for Skylar Thompson, maybe to throw the ball a little more in this game. I'm not sure. It kind of, probably depends on how this game's going if they get away quickly i bet it's a whole bunch more running but as you've stopped and reflected on on what took place and we talked about this on the post game that running attack and what the offensive line did that's going to win you a lot of football games isn't it oh yeah a ton of football games i mean anybody that can run the ball the way that we ran the ball i mean any team that's going to be able to do that you're going to put yourself into position to win a lot now Obviously, the competition is going to get a little bit more tougher as we go along in the season. But if we can still run the ball well, I'm not saying to the tune of what we ran it last Saturday, but if we can run the ball well, then we're going to be in very, very good position to to keep ourselves in games and win a lot of games. Yeah, 361 yards on the ground, five different guys scored touchdowns, including four different running backs and Skylar Thompson. I thought Skyler was marvelous, and I, I went back and watched some yeah. of the game, and he really only had one or two, not even bad throws, just a little bit off throws. And the rest yeah, of the time, he, he was well. on the money. Yeah, he played very, very well. I was really excited, really excited. I know I've said it before, and obviously the quarterback is going to be the key to your season, but he is really the key to our season this year. I mean, I just – I love what he did. I love the start that he got off to. Coming off of last year, inconsistencies, you know, with his play, in getting playing time, and then just being the guy, he just played very, 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 very well. Very well. You know, you can go boil down a whole bunch of stats from that first game, and you can look at this and that and rushing yardage and time of possession, which was a monstrous 41-19. to 19. Uh, but at the end of the day, K-State was better on third down. They converted right. third downs. Nichols couldn't get it done against the K-State defense. That hemorrhaged third down conversions a year ago. And that really right. set a tone. Uh, I would like to say I want to see more from the defense. But I, you know what? If they get the opponent off the field at third down, it's not their fault they're not on the field enough. Exactly. I mean, that's, they're doing that's what right. they're supposed to do. 
That's right. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, if uh, I know we want to see more, we want to see them do more, and they will have to do more. But you know what? Hey, set the tempo. I, I agree. Set the tempo early. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get off the field on third down. So if we can be consistent on defense and continue to do that down the road, more power to them. You know, Scotty Hazleton, the defensive coordinator, made a big deal last week of talking about how they weren't going to be vanilla. And, and you know, compared to Bill Snyder, they, they weren't. They did have a few blitzes, a few things they did on defense. But honestly, they didn't do much on defense. They really no. just kind of lined up and and defended in pretty base packages and and just let the guys get comfortable with their duties and not confuse them. And that is really important in a new defensive system. It's key to just let guys just go out there and run around and play fast. Yeah. I mean, you hear it all the time. Play fast. Play fast. Well, it's a lot easier to play fast when you just, hey, here's the assignment. This is what you do. You know, when things are being simplified. So it's a lot easier. And it's not that, you know, Nichols wasn't running different combinations and formations and things of that nature. It was just, hey, we're lining up. This is what we're doing, and we're going to run around and play fast. I think that's very, very key, and they did a really good job of that last week. How much confidence does a team build off a performance like that? I I know it's hard for you to you know pinpoint having a new coach and those type of things, but that, that's really got to build their – their belief system. They've believed in the systems. They've believed in what these coaches are telling them and teaching them, but to put it into practice and see it blossom in front of you has got to be very reinforcing. It does. And here's the thing, Tim, they didn't go to a bowl game last year. So we're coming off a losing season. So any success that the guys have is going to build their confidence. Now I'm not saying that they didn't believe that they should have won the game, but you know what? Winning is winning and getting off to a good start is getting off to a good start and building that confidence. And Hey, you know what? This is a new system. This does work because as players, they hear all the chatter. They hear the thing that people are saying, hey, it's a new regime. We don't know. The coach is coming from, you know, FCS and all that kind of stuff. They hear all of that. So getting out there and actually putting what you've been working for all this time and putting it out there and having success is going to do nothing but breed confidence. Yep, that's very true. Well, let's save a little bit of good stuff here for the post-game podcast. I'll hit you up about 90 minutes after the game, after I get back from the Chris Kleiman press conference, and we will do it again. We'll, okay. We'll do it at least 12 times this season. And maybe if Chris Kleiman turns out to be the absolute stud coach that some people hope he is, we'll do it 15 times and end up in New Orleans. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. Uh, let's talk about reading too much into one game over Nichols. There we go. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it very much. And we'll talk to you in a few days. Absolutely. And now we go to Vegas, where we all always want to go. And our friend Kelly Stewart, Kelly in Vegas, KIV proxy service, that website, wagertalk.com. What else you got? Uh, Star, the Showtime series, action. You're, yeah, Bleacher you're... Report at BR underscore betting for all the degenerates. I saw a tweet this morning, a uh, guy wants more Vegas. I know. And I said, said, well, hey, I've got all the Vegas. You just have to find it. I know. That's, that's something different. I'm just here to talk about K-State. And he, want, he wants all Kelly 
talking all the time. <laughs> and who doesn't, honestly? Uh, you know what? I think last week I thoroughly proved why nobody should take gambling advice from me. I thought the spread of 23 and a half, which is what we were thinking the spread would be, and it was, was way too high. And they covered. Yes. And you know what? Like I said, though, I didn't have the guts to take it, Tim. I didn't know what we were going to get. There's several NFL games that fit that exact same situation. There's just like, you know what? We don't know what we're going to get from a team, so you don't force a bet. And that's how I feel about K-State. Listen, we are all a little gun-shy. Mr. Bill Snyder didn't like to cover big numbers. Nope. And subsequently lost a couple times as a big favorite. So for me... I just was like, you know, let's just hang out. And and I only got to catch glimpses of the game uh, online. I was watching a lot of other games that morning, and I was, for one, just ecstatic uh-huh. to see there was time left on the clock. There was the play clock. There were, uh, you know, fourth down situations. There were gutsier calls, not, you know, super anything, super crazy. But there were some glimpses of, oh, my God. We might be a real power five school. Yep. There was no uh, four-yard passes on third and five. They threw six yards. It seems basic, but that's what they did. It looked really good. They looked good. Uh, but here's another week. You never know what you're going to get sometimes. It's still too early to, you know, have him be the second coming in our minds. But Chris Kleiman seems to have... A good start here, and now Bowling Green rolls into town with a new coach, a program that's been struggling. And what's the number you're seeing right now for the spread? Well, also 23 and a half, just like last week. I do, um, I do think this number is a little bit high. Both both teams absolute routes last week. Uh, but you know, if if you want me to tell you what Vegas is saying about this game, it's going to be a 21 point game. Listen, Bowling Green, 1-10 in 10 as a double-digit non-conference underdog, but 45-26 and 26 against the spread on the road. This is just – there's a lot of conflicting things here. Listen, I'm just, again, not ready to back K-State laying just a tad too many points just yet. Listen, there are teams – Nick Saban, we see it. Last week, I took the 35 with Duke. And for a better – for the first half, I was in the game. For a better part of the second half, I was cussing myself mentally, going, why did you do this? You knew this is what he does. He goes for it twice on fourth down when he really doesn't have to. Um, and and until I see Kleiman do things like that that says, hey, I not know the spread, obviously, but hey, I know that we need to beat a team by a certain number of points uh, to prove to some sort of committee. I don't I don't know if I'm I'm willing to lay down my hard-earned money to do that. And your money is hard-earned. I sit around and do this all day, so mine is not hard-earned, and I still would not bet it. I don't know. I'm the same way. I'm not ready to – we all want to be overjoyed about that game and about what it possibly means last week. But it's it's one game, and it's too early, and let's get down the road a little farther. Yes, absolutely. Listen, there are going to be plenty of times this season where we can bet Kansas State. Probably at Mississippi State, depending on how they play this week. I was not impressed with them um, over Louisiana Lafayette. They were laying a big number as well and were unable to get it done. So I'm looking at K-State as a road underdog in that spot. I'm looking at them versus Texas. I'm looking at them versus OU. I'm looking at them versus Iowa State. 
pump the brakes, K-State fans. There are going to be plenty of opportunities where K-State is going to be able to be bettable. Um, you know, or a lot of people tend to do the emotional hedge, as we call it, Mr. Fitz. Yep. Uh, where they bet against K-State. Um, and if K-State wins but doesn't cover, they win both. If K-State loses outright, well, at least I bet against them. I get that. Uh, I am not one of those bettors unless nope. there is unless there's a unless there is a very uh, slim chance that I really think that they're just going to lay an egg, uh, most notably usually in Ames. But the tide has turned in Ames. Matt Campbell, as an underdog, is no more. Matt Campbell laying a ton of points, as we saw last week. Uh, against Northern Iowa, maybe a scary proposition this year. He uh, said, "Bill Snyder, I, I'm I'm going to do it now. I'm going to be so conservative, I barely win the game." And that's what they did. It was painful to watch. It was crazy. That game was like on the right of my peripheral when I was watching the three or four games I had action on that morning. And I was going, you know, I knew I should have bet Northern Iowa, and that's those are the worst kind of bets where you're like, why did I talk myself out mm-hmm. of that again? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, in in all seriousness, there was a couple of Big 12 teams that looked really good uh, and a couple that didn't look so good. So KU didn't get the cover. Well, depending on when you bet it against uh, Indiana State, I don't think KU gets the cover again this week. I'm actually looking at taking the points with Coastal Carolina. What's it at, 10? Somewhere around there? Yeah, I think uh, last I saw was at 8, 9, a couple couple different spots. But, yeah, it'll get bet up. Um, I do think that KU just, again, is not a team that I'm willing to lay points with, whether at home or not. And and Puka Williams is back for KU. Maybe that's going to help them. But, man, I don't know. I agree. Wes Miles, 22-34-1 versus the points in his last 57 as a head coach. KU now 3-10 and in their last 13 games at Memorial Stadium. I'm not laying points with this KU team. If if anything, I'm taking them. I, I would agree. Anything else jumping out at you? Out there? You know, I, I get a lot of people asking me about Texas LSU, right. and I, I just don't think that's a game I want to I want to touch. Tom Herman, we know uh, Ohio State, Houston. Now Texas as an underdog, he's catching he's catching points, uh, and I'm not laying the points with LSU. Listen, I lean towards Texas, but I think everybody and their brother is going to take the points with Texas. The line's going to come down. So if you like it, play it now. Uh, this is just not a game that Kelly and Vegas is willing to, to, to get involved in. I just don't see it being anything other than a crapshoot point flip Auburn, Oregon type situation that I just want no part of. Everybody's like, Oh, I can't believe you didn't bet that game. Thank God I didn't bet that game. I only have so many, so many brain cells left. I would have lost my mind. It would have been terrible. So, you know, you have to look at that. And I think honestly, you're going to laugh because I did bet against West Virginia last week and pushed with James Madison. Uh, I kind of like West Virginia this week at Mizzou. How about that spread? Uh, What's, what are you showing Missouri by? 12 or 14. something? 14. That's 14. crazy. They just lost to Wyoming. And they did just lose to Wyoming. So this is the thing you have to think about this game. Where are we overreacting? Are we overreacting yep. to how poorly West Virginia played against James Madison? Are we overreacting to Missouri losing to a pretty good Wyoming team? And Craig Bull, K-State yep. fans, you probably remember that name. Uh, it still haunts me to this day. Yep. So that being said, we maybe overlooked how good Wyoming was. Missouri's going to be okay, but that's too many points. I think West Virginia comes to play in that game. Anywhere else in the Big 12, we really need to talk about. I guess we can make fun of Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole division in the Big Ten is a mess. That 
Western or I, I just whatever. I said this to somebody the other day. I signed up a bunch of Nebraska fans for the proxy service, and they're like, "Why do you still hate us?" I'm like, "You guys gave me PTSD from my childhood. I don't know what else <laughs> to tell you." And I go, "I just love how bad you are in the Big Ten. I just I, there's something about it. I'm like, I love this so much, and I do think Frost is with time is going to be better, right. and I do think he's going to get that team more well-rounded that being said man I, i'm enjoying it while it lasts i agree i think they're going to get it rolling eventually because he's too good of a coach but it's fun to see they just they they should have never left instead of being a big boy the in the big 12 they're nobody in the big 10 who, who left first nebraska left first or i think they did i i can't i think remember. they started the whole disillusion of missouri the started it but i think nebraska okay. bolted okay so we can hate so, them both. Exactly, right? You know, that was funny. I, I had a KU fan the other day that said, well, I don't hate K-State. He's like, we beat you guys in basketball. And I'm like, well, not this year, sir. But anyway, uh, and, you know, vice versa in football. He goes, can we all just agree we hate Missouri? I'm like, fine. I don't hate together. Missouri. It brings but, us yeah, together. We, yeah, we can, we can agree that, that, you know, Missouri is a terrible place. <laughs> Her name is Kelly Stewart. She is Kelly in Vegas on Twitter, on Instagram, on probably social media I've never heard of. And she is darn good at her job. If you need a little gambling advice, go find her. She's got a new podcast. What's that? Kelly and Murray uh, is a new podcast where I hang out with literally behind the scenes uh, of the sports book with one of the executive sports book directors over at the Westgate. And I get all the good inside information that everybody wants to know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And you don't now, you don't sell your service. You do your proxy service, but you, Right. So I I don't sell I don't sell picks anymore. Um I did for a long time and it was under the umbrella of hey, if you're going to do the work anyway, charge yeah. people. And uh now I just charge large media corporations instead. Good. I like it. She doesn't charge us as far as I know. She's just been our friend for a long long time and and we get we get this for free since about 1993. Yep. Thank you, Kelly. Be careful out there. It's Vegas and weird stuff goes on. Absolutely, Tim. Thanks for always having me on. And we've got one more stop to make on our tour of analysts leading up to this game with Bowling Green. And his name is Ben Lieber. He'll be on the color call on the television broadcast on FSN. R.D. Scott Fritchin caught up with Ben a little bit earlier in the week. That Q&A is up for our VIP subscribers at GoParacat.com. But here's just a little snippet of their conversation about what Chris Kleiman's doing at Kansas State. I want your thoughts, but around the Flint Hills, this was quite a shock Saturday. 573 total yards for K-State, tied with the 1998 team for seventh most in school history in a single game, and 361 rushing yards, the most in a season opener since 1981. K-State had the worst offense in the Big 12 a year ago. What catches your eye about the climbing offense? Just run the ball. Um trying to change his stripes on who he is as a coach. I mean, he's you don't you don't have to watch North Dakota State very long to realize, all right, that's that's a run first pro style offense that is going to attack you in the trenches and make you bow up and have to play at their physical level. And and I think that that's that's something that needs to come back to football in general. That's something that needs to come back to college football, especially in the Big 12, and I think it's doing that. Um, you look at what Iowa State is doing with their emphasis on, on running the football and, and playing good defense. Even Texas is sort of changing their, their stripes on at least their attitude about physical play, focusing on defense. 
Oklahoma with Alex Grinch now as a defense coordinator, they're, they're all about taking the ball away and playing tough defense. Um, you know, Matt Wells, his philosophy is the same thing. So, uh, and, and then you get the, the blue bloods like, like Gary um, Patterson at TCU. So uh, I think that it just, it falls in line with where I think that football needs to get back to that. We're going to win with the, our offensive and defensive line, and we're going to make you, run downhill and try to stop us and getting back to that sort of old school mentality. And, and it's working at least worked for one game. You know, it's it worked at a, at a high level of, uh, of FCS, um, which, you know, I will, I will, will put my, uh, my stamp on the fact that the top 10 of the FCS could absolutely compete uh, at the FBS level, just with the, the talent and the coaching that's there. So, um, that's uh, that's some good-looking football that he had at North Dakota State, and uh, hopefully that that uh, is a full transition to Kansas State for a long time. Kleiman's made a point to say this is Skylar Thompson's team, and Skylar told me after the game this was the best game of his career this past Saturday. You know, Skylar's no longer looking over his shoulder at Alex Dalton and really learned that Courtney Messingham playbook over the offseason. He appears more confident than ever before. How would you assess Skylar Thompson these days? Uh, looser. I mean, he even said it himself. It was it was the most fun that he's ever felt walking off a field. And and I think that just speaks volumes to, again, what the culture that Kleiman has already sort of injected into that into that program where not to say that we didn't have fun under Snyder, but it was very much a business like atmosphere and you were always left walking off the field like what you could have done better. And and there are times where you just wanted to say, Man, can we just enjoy this for, for twenty four hours before you, you tell us, you know, what we need to improve on and what we did wrong. It it seems like Skyler already has like a bounce in his step and he's, and he's making quicker decisions. And I think that he's allowed to feel like he can make a mistake without, you know, the, the shepherd hook coming out to grab him and, and, and put somebody else in there. Um, this idea that players have to play perfect is, is the wrong approach. I think a lot of coaches make, and I think the best teams are the teams that can play free. And they're allowed to make mistakes. You just have to make full speed mistakes. And as long as Skyler can do that and feel like he has that, that ability to make a full speed mistake and not get the shepherd hook, then I think he's a, he's a better quarterback for it. And that's it for our analyst section of the Powercat pregame podcast. We'll be back on the other side with a couple quick interviews and my five keys. We're almost done getting you ready for Kansas State and Bowling Green playing Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. What are the keys to a Wildcat victory? It's next on the Powercat pregame podcast, presented by Robbins Motor Company. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC Gig Powered Studios. 
Now we bring it down the home stretch of this week's pregame podcast brought to you by Robbins Motor Company. I'll have my five keys to victory here in just a little bit. And Riley Gates will step in with an interview with offensive line coach Connor Riley. At Robbins Motor Company, they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. Well, it's easy to talk about the running backs when you rush for 361 yards and have five different guys score on rushing touchdowns in your season opener. But don't forget that offensive line. They were pretty darn dominant. They're senior laden, and they're coached now by Connor Riley. And here's Riley Gates with Coach Riley. After an offensive line performance like that, you're, you're looking for things to coach up, but I got to imagine you're, you're in a pretty good mood after that game. Yeah, I was pretty pleased with, uh, with how hard the guys played, but um, kind of like what we assumed, there was quite a few things that we still need to work on. And I think that's kind of the exciting part is um, in visiting with them. Uh, first thing I told him Monday is our biggest improvement has to be from week one to week two. So we're looking for quite a bit of uh, improvement this upcoming week. I had to go through a little bit of adversity there when, when Scott went down with the injury, but you guys really just kind of picked it up and ran with it. You know, I guess the next man mentality, you, you kind of had a system going already. Were you impressed with how smoothly things went despite losing a guy like Scott there for a little bit? Well, with the... Um, experience of the guys that we're fortunate to have up front. Um, I kind of anticipated uh, that they would handle a little adversity like that pretty well. So um, we obviously shuffled quite a few guys around in order to get uh, what I would have considered the best five out there um, at that time. And um, guys handled it really well. They didn't balk at it. And we were fortunate enough to get Scott back in the second half. Adam was telling us yesterday that one of the things he's kind of worked the hardest with transitioning from Coach Dickey to you is rather than going kind of like a horizontal type movement, you you encourage the guys to go more vertical. Have you seen a lot of guys working on making that a point, the muscle, getting rid of that muscle memory? Yeah, there's been a little transition in that. And it's just two different coaching philosophies. Um, one not necessarily better than the other. Um, just one that I prefer is I do want a little bit more um, vertical push and some of the things that we do in some of the zone combinations and whatnot. So, yeah, there's been a little bit of transition with that, and it's one of the things that's uh, still a work in progress. How does that a performance 300-plus yards pushing in the 400 area? How does that make you feel as a coach? Humbled. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's their work who's getting it done. It's the work of wide receivers. It's the work of the running backs. It's the work of everyone. But, um, you know, you, you never want to get too high after a performance. You never want to get too low. It's, it's kind of one of those things once you evaluate in the coaching profession, we often say, you know, it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad as you think. So um, I think it's a good starting point. Uh, I hope the guys uh, can see the results of that game and, and build a little bit more confidence in some of the nuances that I'm teaching and uh, continue to buy into the philosophies that we have offensively. Looking ahead to this week, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how good Morgan State was, but they only got, I think, roughly 43 yards rushing against uh, that Bowling Green defense. What type of a challenge is that ahead of you? Well, it's quite a challenge, and uh, you know they've got a uh, very seasoned, um, very experienced, and uh, quality defense coordinator. 
Um, they've obviously bought into that system that they're running um, at Bowling Green uh, very quickly. You see them hitting their fits really well. They're playing fast. Um, they play a multitude of fronts. Uh, they do have a, a multitude of pressures. They have third down pressures. They have run fit pressures. Um, and, and the one thing that you really notice from that game is that guys are playing real fast to it. They're not getting out of fits. So uh, we certainly do have our challenges ahead of us this week. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing I told those guys on Monday. Um, as we continue to move forward through this season and um, with the greatest amount of respect towards Bowling Green, it is really about us. It's about us and our progression and us improving from week to week. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily look at what is the result of you know, this week's rushing totals or what is the result of this statistic. To me, it's going to be, um, are we improving on the things that, that we need to improve on from this past Saturday? And when that game was over, when you had a minute to just kind of sit back, relax a little bit and, and kind of reflect on the day, what, what were the emotions of, you know, the first game at K-State, having a successful win and then, you know, having a crowd that, that seemed to be really excited for all 60 minutes of that game? Yeah, the, the crowd and uh, Wildcat Nation was awesome. You know, it was uh, pretty electric out there. You could feel it. Um, certainly, we're uh, very satisfied, very pleased with the win. Uh, you know, my emotions were a little torn. There's a fourth down and one that as an offensive line coach, you uh, um, it's, it's funny, you linger sometimes on those things, but it's a great learning. Um, experience for us and we got to uh, move forward with it and you enjoy it for a few hours and then uh, next morning you come in you evaluate it look at the things you need to improve on and and begin preparing for next week's opponent pretty excited to get out there for the second one now yeah I am I'm really excited to see how the guys improve that's that's my biggest thing is okay uh, what are we going to do from our progression this past week um, to moving forward into this week. You know, it's and coach talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, we still have had just 40 some practices with these guys, and we're fortunate that you obviously have a little bit more preparation time for the first opponent. We don't have that luxury, and we are not going to have that luxury for the majority of the remainder of the season. So, how quickly guys can pick up on some of the nuanced things, um, whether it's defensively or whether it's an, an addition of what we want to do offensively. Well, Bowling Green did win their opening game, as Kansas State did. They defeated Morgan State 46-3 in the debut of head coach Scott Loeffler. Now let's go hear some thoughts from Coach Loeffler on facing the Kansas State Wildcats. After uh, watching all three phases of the game uh, with Kansas State, uh, you can feel on tape the culture left by Coach Schneider, and you can see the same culture brought in by uh, Chris uh, Kleiman. They're super tough on tape. Uh, they play relentless on all three phases. Uh, they, the thing that's most impressive, I think, about them is they're tremendous technicians. Uh, we're going to have to be 100% on point to do what we need to do to, uh, to go in there and uh, compete and try to uh, come out with a victory. But uh, I think they really play extremely good team football. I'm hoping uh, in my time here that I can get up and uh, compliment uh, uh, staff and I hope someday someone can compliment our program about how relentless they play, what great technicians they are, because this organization uh, that uh, Coach Schneider left and then Chris obviously um, is uh, took over is a tough, relentless technician sound football team. So we've got we've got our hands full uh, playing in a, uh, in a tough, hard, loud environment with a team that's extremely disciplined and extremely tough. 
you got to have a hundred. You got to have laser beam focus. Uh, everything's got to be wrapped around that play, and uh, it's going to be a great challenge, and it's going to be a great learning experience. I think for our kids to to have the sense of urgency that they're going to need to have success. It's a K-State sports tradition. It's Fitz's Five Keys to Victory on the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. And now it's time for my keys to victory. The full pregame analysis of my keys is for VIP customers of Go PowerCat as premium content. But let's do a quick rundown right now. The Chris Kleiman era of K-State football provided fans with a promising debut. But what do his Wildcats need to do to build off that victory over Nichols? K-State meets the Bowling Green Falcons Saturday at 11 a.m. at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. What is K-State's path? to success in this game? Well, here are my keys to the game. Key number one, continue to pound the opposition with that running game. The Wildcats found great success against Nichols, but running the ball is the heart and soul of this offense and adding to the success in game one with more power running is part of the building process. Key number two, catch the darn ball. K-State's receivers dropped about four balls in the season opener, which actually held back the Skyler Thompson-led offense from further success. When your quarterback hits you in the hands with a pass, eh, catch it. Key number three, don't get lost in the motion. If K-State's defense showed one flaw in the opener, it was a tendency to be fooled by motion and offensive shifts, both of which Bowling Green will do plenty of. Know your job and show improvement from what went wrong in week one. Key number four, apply some pressure. Zero quarterback sacks in the opener is a bit concerning. So in week two, get after the quarterback in passing situations. Even if defensive coordinator Scotty Hazelton doesn't unleash the blitzes, this front four should be able to get to the quarterback. And key number five, provide a bit more substance in special teams. Decent returns, good coverage, and a missed field goal. Honestly, we didn't learn much about special teams in the opener, so it would be nice to see at least one big play in this phase of the game. K-State Nation left Bill Snyder Family Stadium last Saturday with a spring in their collective step. Chris Kleiman, his coaches, and players offered a strong sign that the program is in very good hands. With the schedule on the cusp of getting much more challenging, it's time to manhandle Bowling Green, keep the momentum going forward, and get ready for a trip to Mississippi State. My prediction is K-State 45, Bowling Green 10. And that will do it for this season's second edition of the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. And remember, we will have a postgame podcast. Brian Hanley and I will convene as soon as possible following Saturday's game. And that podcast will appear within hours of the conclusion of K-State and Bully Green. And remember, folks, if you're not a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com, it's time to get that done. If you're enjoying these podcasts, Imagine the substance you will find behind the paywall for our VIP customers. If you sign up today, I will give you 30% off your annual subscriptions first year. Don't miss out on this opportunity to become part of the growing family at GoPowerCat.com. And once again, our VIP subscribers will have another edition of The Sample with Josh Kinder, Travis Tannehill, Monty Spiller, and Jeff Hawkinson on Tuesday. Four guys, one table, and a lot of talk about 
about K-State football. Well, the Chris Kleiman era of K-State football is upon us. It's going well, and can it continue? Make sure you don't miss out on a single thing by being part of the Go Powercat family and subscribing through Apple Podcasts or your favorite service to get every edition of the Powercat podcast. We deliver one every day, and the overtime edition comes on Friday. And, of course, that post-game podcast lands Saturday evening. I'm Tim Fitzgerald, and I will talk to you very soon. You've been listening to the PowerCat pregame podcast presented by Robbins Motor Company. PowerCat podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.